Welcome to the Hyper Voice, episode 44. This is a show all about Pokemon's video game championship series. I am your host, Steven Morioka, and today I am joined by Alex Underhill. Hello, Steven. And Tommy Kuleen. Hey guys, what's going on? This is our lovely cast, panel, and crew, slash all of the above, for today's show. But we're going to be talking about a few of the regionals and special events that have occurred over the last few weeks. Um, most specifically, we want to go a little more in depth into the Hartford, Connecticut regional because we do have Tommy on here and, uh, we're going to go into the Mexico special event from the previous weekend, May 11th through 12th in Cancun, as well as the Australia regional and the, uh, from Sydney this past weekend and the Santa Clara, California regional this past weekend as well. Now, Tommy, tell us about the Connecticut regional, just, uh, stuff that happened there really quickly here. Oh, so, uh, as some of you might know, I did manage to win the regional, my first regional, which was awesome, and, uh, in cut, there was, what, Severn Rayquaza, and the one Necrozma, and I think that was, like, the really big, uh, talking point from everybody there, it was a really insane, uh, kind of tournament as far as, uh, the Pokemon stuff goes. There was uh, four Neolego also looking at it right now. Like, they were just kind of... Like, we saw a lot of uh, effect from the Berlin Internets the week before uh, kind of affecting the metagame. And it was just really, really exciting to see. I believe you were the only 5-2 and two to make it in. Yes. And the only person with a non-Rayquaza team. Yeah, I believe uh, the other uh, two people... The, the person below me was also running Rayquaza, so very, very close to having a full Rayquaza cut. I've oh, got a, really? I've got okay. a question about the uh, about the Hartford regional from about two weeks ago now. So that ratio of uh, the Rayquaza to Necrozma was they say that's pretty uh, I guess uniform throughout that regional as well. That same ratio. Uh, yeah, I think that the the regional at least on the top end was heavily uh, you know biased towards Rayquaza. Um, you know, after Berlin going into the tournament, I think the big thing on everybody's mind was how dominant Rayquaza looked in. Uh, Berlin, and people wanted to kind of hop on that and, you know, ride that success. The main two, like, archetypes being with uh, either Ray Ogre or with um, uh, X-Ray, which both of them looked very, very strong. Uh, I didn't expect to play much else besides those two teams, so um, that kind of, like, held true, uh, true to form throughout the tournament, and I played almost exclusively Ray the entire day with only a few uh, outliers. And so, Tommy, I wanted to ask you about your team, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people have been asking you about your team, but I, how exactly did it come about? So, the week after Berlin, uh, you know, I went 5-4, I was super duper lost, but the one thing I did know is I felt really confident about uh, you know, the teams that I expected to see in Hartford. I was expecting to see as much spray, like I said. So it really came down to, you know, if I know what's going to be in the field, how am I going to go about beating it? And I was talking a lot to uh, Rogov mainly, and we were toying around with some ideas, and we eventually came to the fact that, uh, you know, Ultra Necrozma Lele has a very, very good Rayquaza matchup. Um, being able to, you know, outspeed with both and pressure with things like uh, Dazzling Gleam and Moonblast from the, the Lele, as well as... Uh, like the Burns of Sky being able to do a large chunk to even Assault Fest Necro or uh, Assault Fest Rayquaza. So uh, we started from there as a kind of like jumping point and uh, kind of used the uh, offensive pressure from those two to kind of you know, snowball with the rest of the team and uh, kind of just put the basis on using Smeargle, Lele, and Necrozma to kind of bully our way through games and then you know, using the partners as they see fit to uh, deal with some of the other annoying things. A lot of the steals, the instants, are uh, not as impactful when you can get Grout on the field and you have sleep pressure and you have a lot of room to switch around and they have to play around like that burns the sky. So it, it's a pretty cool team. I really liked it a lot. Now, this team, I believe you took a lot of things from the Berlin team as well. Uh, Am yeah, I wrong in saying is... that? Pretty pretty similar to a team that I ran in Berlin. Uh, you know, Groudon Salamence, Smeargle, Stack Attacko was also something that I ran uh, with Persian and Xerneas over Tapu Lele and Necrozma. Uh, it just figures that uh, 
a lot of the things that the Berlin was doing to beat Xerneas, uh, this team does very similar things with having that, you know, stack attack of Groudon, uh, Smeargle mode going on, where you have, uh, you know, stack attack as your check calls are an answer that you can kind of throw on the field, uh, and you try and use, you know, put stack in good spots so that you're not fearing the stack getting knocked out and you can put ample pressure on the Xerneas while, uh, not having to set up this insane board position where you get your grout on into a really good spot to beat the Xerneas, just slap it on stack attack on the field and hopefully it pulls through. And, uh, I think Shakaberry is actually a big part of why that's, uh, possible. You know, a lot of the teams have either a grout on next to the Xerneas or, uh, the Rayquaza with Earth Power we're seeing a lot. Uh, so the two of those not being able to KO Stacko, which means that you get uh, at least one turn to either uh, get a Gyro Ball off on the Xerneas, or uh, what I more often did was just set up Trick Room so that I could have uh, multiple turns to start dealing with the Xerneas. So um, I think a lot of the tools I carried over from the team that I played in Berlin uh, you know, found themselves in a similar role on this team, just supporting... Uh, you know, the Lele and the Krozma, uh, which were, you know, doing a lot of damage like Azernius would on any team. So, here's a here's a question about uh, either movesets or items. So, a lot of these Pokemon are pretty standard in the metagame here. So, obviously, in order to win, you need to make a, make a way to make your team stand out here. So, what would you consider to be the most unique thing you did about uh, this team here? Uh, this team's actually, as far as my teams go, like super duper standard. Uh, you know, a lot of people can toy around with that third move on Necrozma. I decided to just go for, uh, Moongeist Beam since it is just, uh, really, really good coverage and there wasn't anything in particular that I thought that I would need other, uh, moves for. Throughout the tournament, I did wish I had Dragon Pulse on Necro, uh, but in finals, Moongeist Beam actually came uh, super clutch when I finally got to play against Lele in that tournament. Uh, so I definitely didn't regret having that. Otherwise, uh, I, people gave me a lot of, uh, you know, comments on my Groudon. I was running a sort of a weird Groudon spread. Uh, I run lonely Groudon so that I can invest in both of my offenses, uh, and keep my special bulk while still actually being able to run speed. Uh, and the only, like, important physical benchmark I think that Groudon absolutely needs is making sure that you're, you're living a uh, Precipice Blades from opposing Groudon at neutral. So uh, just making sure I maintain that calc, and then from there I could uh, go lonely on my Groudon, sacrifice some of that defense to invest in the other more important stats. Um, otherwise, I was running um, Superpower on Stack Attack. Uh, it didn't really come into play that much, but uh, it's definitely not standard for Stack. Um, I did use it at some point in the tournament to KO a 50% stack attacker so that my Lele could clean up the rest of the game against a Ray Ogre team, so that was definitely pretty cool, and uh, probably a game that I couldn't have won with any of the other stack attacker moves. Um, and then I had, oh, obviously the Lele, the Lele set was... Yeah, you um, didn't talk about my favorite yet. Yeah, the Magic Room. The Magic Room was... Again, something I didn't use until finals, but it's a really it good It looks really good on stream. Yeah. It's it's a really good tool. Specifically, I like it a lot against um, Rayquaza. It's really good against Xerneas and Smeargle, where they can lead, um, you know, Smeargle's Zern, they lose their Focus Sash, they lose their Power Herb, and you're able to just go free from there. But um, against Rayquaza specifically, if you don't, like, don't know what item it is, or... Um, you want to limit its damage output or make sure that it can't take uh, a combination of attacks. It's actually um, super strong in that aspect. In finals, you saw that um, because I set up the Magic Room, when the Rayquaza went for Dragon Ascent in the late game with Magic Room still up, uh, it failed to pick up the KO because it did not have its Life Orb boost where it would have had it otherwise. So um, definitely a really cool move with a lot of like unique applications. It's just... Um, something that doesn't always pop up in tournament, but when it does, it feels really, really good. Uh, but what I wanted to mention to you, Tommy, was uh, that all of these games, you played several on stream, and uh, we've talked a bit about the sets overall, and I don't want to go into too much detail, but which of the sets would you say was the most intense, the most uh, exciting uh, set that you played during the tournament? Uh, can you repeat that? that? You went robotic on me for a bit. 
So, Tommy, the uh, sets that you played during the tournament, you play a lot on stream, and I was curious, of those stream sets, which of them was the most exciting, the most, like, I don't know, that got your heart racing? Uh, definitely has to be top four against James Beck. You know, James mm-hmm. is a phenomenal player, and one that I historically have not done very well against, so you know, getting into top four and having not won on stream in what felt like, like I think, two years at that point... It was really stressful going in, and that Ray Ogre matchup is something that's really interesting, because it's something that I, I think that Necrozma is usually pretty favored in, but uh, it was you know based off of Chemo's team from Berlin, which does have the Ferium Coco, and uh, Coco puts a lot of pressure, because they have uh, KO pressure on both Necro and Salamence on turn one, which is something that would otherwise be um, you know super strong Pokemon in those matchups, but... Uh, with Varium, you have to do a little bit of tiptoeing, and I think, you know, all three games came down to the wire, uh, and were decided on some really, really big, flashy back-and-forth plays from both players. I know, you know, in game one, he, like, decided to leave his Coco on the field turn one, and I was able to, like, nail it with, like, fake-out Earth Power, and that was huge for swinging the board state in that position. Uh, and then in, like, game two, there was, like, Ferrothorn on the field and Kyogre, and the... Uh, Ferrothorn switched out into uh, Rayquaza and caught a light that burns the sky. So I know that was like a, definitely a, a really big hype moment. And then game three was everything that you could have asked for as far as a super close game. Down to the wire, I think we came down to 1v1 on Pokemon, and uh, it was all just about getting one or two turns right in the end game. So uh, that has to take the cake by far. Yeah, I think that was uh, my pick as well, because uh, I just, when I was watching that one, live uh rooting for you i was very very nervous <laughs> you kept making me so nervous tommy <laughs> yeah i tend was... to do that <laughs> yeah i guess maybe tommy's track record in uh, regionals kind of supports uh your nerves there but yeah everything <laughs> everything you'd uh mentioned earlier about your team about um the uh, just description of it and not me asking what was unique about it was very contradictory because you mentioned lonely groudon superpower stekateka and the magic room tepu lele but uh regardless congratulations on the regional win i think uh <laughs> unless you have any closing thoughts on connecticut we can move on to our next event here uh no i think that's about it all righty perfect so um that is connecticut yeah tommy you picked up your first regional win there how does it feel to join the club Honestly, the big thing is just a nice weight off my shoulders. You know, I don't think it really like changes my aspect, uh, like my outlook on you know, how I am on a, as a player. I still mm-hmm. think I'm as who I am as a player. It's just really nice as somebody who has had trouble, you know, winning when they get into cut to you know finally knock out that win, finally get the brick. It's really, really big weight off my shoulders. Yeah, and I think that's a very valid point that uh, a lot of players uh, probably also have to uh, go through. But anyway, let's move on here to our next event. So uh, this is an event from last, uh, the previous weekend uh, from Cancun, Mexico, um, which uh, did not appear last time when we were checking the results page. But um, we saw a winner in Hiram Espinosa, and uh, again, these are the same championship point payouts as a regional. So. Um, he had a winning team of Kyogre, Necrozma, Donwings, Salamence, Tepulele, Incineroar, and Togedemaru. So, um, just looking at this and some of the other teams out there, um, in the top cut, what observations can the two of you make here? Oh boy, this tournament, uh, for those that want to follow along, you can check this out on Trainer Tower. Um, but the teams here, they, uh... They've got some interesting restricted combos, at least a couple of them that uh, we haven't been seeing at other tournaments. Uh, a lot of Pokemon being used alongside Kyogre that are not named Rayquaza. Uh, at this point in the game, it seems like a lot of people are just relying on Kyogre paired with Rayquaza to really make it the easiest possible for Rayqua- uh, for Kyogre to spam its water spout, its origin pulses, those strong spread water moves. But if you're able to position your Kyogre well, uh, or use Pokemon like Tornadus or Lickitung to keep the uh, weather in your favor. And, I, and I'm saying Lickitung. The <laughs> um, if you're able to use these type of Pokemon to keep the weather in your favor, then uh, you can just rely on that strong positional play to allow Kyogre to really shine. I just noticed that Lickitung. I, I did not catch that on first glance. 
but it's in the uh, bottom right corner. Yeah, wow, geez. Like, there's even an Excelgor and Mega Beedrill on this team, which uh, this is an Alejandro Terrazas, um, mm-hmm. in eighth place at this special event. But yeah, that's a that's a crazy looking team there, right? Um, you know, one of the reasons that the Rayquaza as well as the any some of the, some of these Cloud Nine Pokemon. Uh, like Lickitung here are used with Kyogre is because Kyogre has that water spout, which is H, uh, health dependent. Uh, but the, probably the big, biggest benefit here is that it doesn't miss. Like, uh, unlike Groudon signature move in, uh, Precipice Blades, doesn't have a, doesn't really have a good replacement for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unless you want to oh, use a Russian so, Groudon. Uh, this, like, cut, I think is more along the lines of, like, what I would be expecting after, um, Hartford happened. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, Hartford was so Ray heavy that I thought that, um, you know, logical next step would be to play teams that have a very strong Rayquaza matchup and people would try and, uh, find those. I think that, you know, all the, uh, Ultra Necrozma teams in cut here, um, do have pretty strong Rayquaza matchups and would be something that I would expect would be like part for the course. Uh, I also think that, Lunala probably matches up pretty decently against Ray if you know the set. I know that um, some of them still are running Crunch, and Crunches can be a huge problem for Lunala, but um, otherwise, uh, Lunala can be like really, really strong against certain Rayquaza teams and can put out a lot of work, especially uh, against stuff like uh, Ray Ogre or X-Ray, where um, the special attackers can't do too much to Lunala through the shield, so they have to... Uh, be very, very careful, because Lunala always, almost always gets speed control in those matchups, so, uh, this is almost exactly what I'd expect to see after a, a super raid-dominant performance. And, as you mentioned that, there is only one Rayquaza in the top cut of this tournament. Um, looking elsewhere, though, the, uh, there is a Tyranitar. That's funny to see. Um, especially when you see Tyranitar on a team with Lunala. We saw some people using Tyranitar with Lunala in uh, in Moon Series, where we didn't have the Super Weathers. Tyranitar is always an interesting pick uh, looking at these GS Cup formats or what you ha- what have you, where we have Primal Kyogre, Primal Groudon, and Mega Rayquaza. And their abilities do override any other kind of weather ability, so it's very hard for the Sandstream to be set up consistently. So maybe that's the reason that Tyranitar is used here, or maybe Tyranitar has the unnerve ability. Uh, Tyranitar does shine in that Eveltal and Rayquaza have a very hard time getting through it, and that does kind of help protect Lunala. While Lunala does a- is able to handle Ray, this uh, team seems like Eveltal would be a little bit troublesome. Um, not a lot of Pokemon can hit it super effectively besides Tapu Fini. And Tabu Fini is not exactly known for its offensive presence, at least in this format. And so I think that's kind of cool that uh, Rayquaza was essentially used as a way to beat Eveltal and provide other kinds of support that uh, we can't exactly know without seeing it set. Right, so it seems like in response to the uh, Connecticut Regional is that folks were a lot more prepared in the following events, which we covered in the previous week's show, as well as uh, this uh, special event here in Mexico as well. Um, you can see like, uh, people are starting to get ready for Rayquaza, you know, what's, uh, what's one of the reasons that makes Rayquaza uh, difficult to go up against? You know, why is it so popular right now? I think that it's probably one of the better Megas in the format, in a format that, uh, the Megas don't really seem that strong, you know, Salamence and Gengar are by far the, uh, the two most used Megas, and, uh, I think Gengar is, like, super game-changing and uh, really strong. It's just the teams need to be very carefully constructed around it. And Mence is just the go-to slap-on for teams. So I, I don't think it's uh, as big of a, a cost to have your Rayquaza on the team uh, go like go for the Mega Evolution almost every game. A lot of the Rayquaza teams that we're seeing just don't have a second Mega Evolution, which is um, something we didn't see as much in something like 2016. Um, so I think that's very strong. Also... The multiple item choices for Rayquaza make it very hard to play around in certain situations. You have to uh, be consciously aware of the fact that it could hold any of really four items right now, whether it be mm-hmm. the Assault Vest, the Choice Band, the Life Orb, or the Focus Sash. You have to play around all of them in very, very different ways. So uh, a lot of uh, the play in best of three is in game one. It's really, really important to find out what the 
uh, Rayquaza item is, so you can figure out uh, how you're going to formulate your game plan for games two and three if uh, it comes down to it. It's nice that Mega Rayquaza does kind of consolidate roles in that it's one of your restricted Pokemon and one of your Mega Pokemon. And while it might make some more sense to have power dispersed on your team, where you have a Z-Move, a Mega, and two Restricteds available, sometimes you need to bring in two supporters. Two of the most common supporters we see in the format are Pokemon like Incineroar, Tabu Fini, and I guess I'll throw in Amoongus in there as well. And sometimes it's nice to have the two Restricteds and two supporters that are able to switch in, take all the hits, and set up your powerhouses for with a good board position. And it's nice because then you don't have to worry so much about relying on a single supporter in Incineroar or something like that. Instead, you're supporting Rayquaza as both your Mega and your Restricted, and it does have the stats to back it up. It's also able to hold an item, which is just kind of a game changer. As Tommy had mentioned, there's so many different items that Rayquaza can run compared to other Pokemon, which makes it a lot harder to play around in a game one scenario. Yeah, so Tommy had mentioned something uh, about 2016, how um, back then, you know, a lot of people didn't want to sacrifice a Mega Slot necessarily um, and, you know, kind of balance out the power a little bit more amongst the team. I think uh, Z-Moves, with the introduction of Z-Moves, that's something that really helped out um, in terms of uh, dispersing that power amongst your team here, amongst the Pokemon you can bring into each game as well. So that's probably a reason why Rayquaza searched to the top as well as the new Mega Speed mechanics we've uh, seen in happen in, chain in Generation 7. Um, so probably a reason we've seen a lot of surge in this. And uh, Gengar and Salamence are also uh, really fast, which is probably... Actually, all three of them are really high along the speed tier. Is probably another good reason why they're among the most popular. And you look at some of the others as well, like Kangaskhan, you know, I would say still pretty decently fast. And then uh, other things like Lucario, Lopunny, and sometimes Metagross as well. Like these are all really fast Pokemon. And uh, being able to get that first attack off gives you more chances to put the game in your favor with uh, at least RNG. So I think, uh, unless you guys had anything else to say, uh, we could probably move on to the most recent events that have uh, happened just over this past weekend. Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about those two. Uh, Alex, kick it off. So Sydney Regionals uh, in Australia happened over the weekend, and um, I looking at it, it might I don't, don't remember exactly how many people attended the tournament, but uh, they only had top four prizing. Um... And the winner was Chris Khan, who won with a team of Groudon, Xerneas, Kangaskhan, Tapu Fini, Incineroar, and Aegislash. And the, what I would say about looking at that team from Chris Khan, who is a uh, very strong player, a international champion, uh, one of Australia's best for sure, uh, is that we see a team that I think is a bit more reminiscent of what we saw in 2016, a very mu Groudon, Xerneas with some... Pokemon to support the uh, setup of these two Pokemon. Kangaskhan and Incineroar providing the double fake out. Not a lot of teams uh, have that option at this point in the format. Um, so it's really nice to be able to bring in your Incineroar fake out, U turn out into Kangaskhan, provide another fake out to really just keep Xerneas in a positive position the whole time. Uh, we see a lot of teams abusing Tapu Fini next to Groudon. Uh, with Icy Wind, because uh, the Primals just very much, very much enjoy speed control. And so, that brings me to the last Pokemon, the Aegislash. And I'm not quite sure what the Aegislash is doing. What uh, what could you guys deduce from looking at this? I mean, Gyro Ball and Wide Guard are still two like really, really good tools. Especially for um, uh, a team with you know, Groudon on it. Wide Guard can be like, very, very useful in those kind of situations. But... Uh, even more than that, uh, it's something that uh, it's it's very similar to something like like stack attack in that regard. I, I assume, um, like looking at the composition of the team, that the Z move is probably on either the Incineroar or the Aegislash. Uh, my guess would probably be the Aegislash with the Ghostium, and uh, well, if that's the both. case, tools, yeah. But um, yeah, the Aegislash is able to do some like. Uh, kind of weird stuff. It's uh, it can you know go for Ghostium on a lot of the targets that maybe Stern would want to double up into pick up knockouts. I believe like uh, Ghostium does what like seventy five percent to stack attack. So if you're able to like chip it with dazzling gleams, able to put it into range. Uh, it's another wide guard user for uh, keeping your ground on your Xerneas healthy. 
Um, overall, it's just a really, like, bulky steel. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think each slash is kind of cool. I know it's something that, um, I talked to, uh, Angel, Ma uh, Angel Miranda and, uh, Rajan about in Berlin. We were talking about Age of Slash quite a, bl uh, quite a bit and thought that, uh, it was kind of cool and maybe worth experimenting with. Of course, Angel's talking about Age of Slash. <laughs> Angel in 2015 had like two boxes of Aegislash Slash that he bred, like all with different sets, varying from like min speed to max speed, even holding like a choice scarf. I just remember Angel was obsessed with Aegislash Slash back in the 2015 format, so it's no surprise yeah, to see yeah. that he has some interest in it. Yeah, yeah, I actually, I actually remember seeing those pictures back then, you know, because I, I was in grad school that year. So uh, I wasn't playing too much, but I was paying attention online to a lot of what, uh, what a lot of other other people were doing, and I saw that was from Angel. Like he had two boxes full of ages, different ages slash, um, which was uh, just really uh, crazy to see. And like uh, we were just talking about this off air, but uh, I used ages slash back in 2016, back when I was still doing well in tournaments, um, and I top cut the 2016 Collinsville Regional where uh, Franklin Franklin Lewis beat me. Uh, it was Kiram versus my Age Slash in the end, and uh, I just ended up making a stupid mistake and uh, didn't get the RNG in my favor that I needed, and then uh, Franklin ended up winning. So, uh, yeah, just a little throwback there. Age Slash has uh, some utility here, right? Can play similarly to Sakataka in his support role there, uh, and like everything you, that the two you just mentioned about it. So, um, yeah, anything else from... The uh, this Australia regional in Sydney that we'd like to mention here. Uh, uh, I did want to say one last thing about the Aegis Slash sure. in that it's kind of funny when we look at what we saw in Berlin. There was a uh, stack attack uh, holding the item Shed Shell, which was super, super interesting. It was kind of an item that flew under the radar, um, but in a format so dominated by Mega Gengar, at least where we see a lot of Mega Gengar usage. Um, it does make a bit of sense that you want to be able to switch your Pokemon out, and that's what Mega Gengar really thrives on. And abusing the Shed Shell almost just feels like cheating, honestly. Like, uh, I've messed around with it a bit myself, and when you're able to switch a Pokemon out under Shadow Tag, your opponent just kind of, like, looks at you and, like, questions you, like, how? How? Like, and so, <laughs> uh, Aegislash kind of provides that role in, with the ability to still use a different item, it doesn't get you to, you won't be able to use Trick Room, but maybe Chris Khan's team didn't need it. He just wanted to be able to use Gyro Ball, Wide Guard, uh, to beat Xerneas down, and also to support his Groudon, prevent precipice blades and such. But this Pokemon was able to switch out of Shadow Tag because of its ghost typing. Does uh, does that Shed Shell activate when you switch it out, or does it just kind of stay hidden? And it just lets you switch? I think it just lets you switch. It's it's, like hit, quiet. it's it's hitting, and it doesn't consume either, so you can do it again if you were to bring your Shed Shell Pokemon back in. Oh, that's pretty cool. I didn't know about that. So, you know, because honestly, that's it, not a common item that you. we've ever really seen before, so um, yeah. it's really cool to be seeing it utilized now. Super cool. Yeah. Uh, on that team, not, away from the Aegis last thing I wanted to point out was uh, Kangaskhan's uses on that team, since... Uh, might be kind of like normalized to seeing Kangaskhan in our brains, but we haven't seen it a lot uh, in you know the Gen Seven formats because of all the uh, the nerfs to Kangaskhan. So uh, I think Kang is actually kind of interesting on Xerneas teams because it has the um, the the cool role of being able to both support the Xerneas with fake out pressure, but then also having that really powerful low kick uh, that can do a lot of damage against Stack Attacka, which is the uh, what I'd call the main Xerneas threat in this format. So uh, I think that it's uh, used just like, kind of interesting here. Like, we don't know what Chris Khan's set was. There's a bunch of, like, support moves that Ken can run as well. Um, stuff like Icy Wind, and I think there's a few others. But, uh, you know, when you see Kang, you usually expect the the Icy the Wind is your first pick? As a support move. Yeah. Icy Wind? Yeah. What? What's wrong with Icy Wind? I mean, like... Ashton did run like, that in 2016 on his AV Kang, I believe, but, uh... Like, uh, I was gonna say, like, the, the normal Kang stuff that you'd expect to see would be, like, double-edge, fake-out, uh, low-kick, and then you pick one. I think a lot of the time it's been uh, bite in this format, uh, or, or crunch. Or crunch, or yeah. roar. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Like, the other big thing that Kang can do, obviously, it has the scrappy fake-out, so if Luna Lunala ever becomes, like, super prevalent, then, um, having a, 
uh, fake out that kind of ghost types is like really really cool. Uh, as well as especially so against Gengar. Yes, especially so. And then you know, by being able to, uh, uh, I think it's like a fifty-one percent chance to flinch, which is yeah, it's really absurd. Yeah, so you can kind of just you know have your dark move so you can hit Lunala and Gengar, but then also if uh, things get in a pinch, you just flip a coin and hope they flinch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just gotta do it. You know, something it's more effective than just being able to do damage sometimes. So, um, you gotta mm-hmm. go for those plates. Yeah, at first, at first, I mean, honestly, at first when you said bite, I thought um you'd misspoke. But now the now that I remember, I didn't realize that uh flinch percentage because it's uh hits twice. So, um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Forget what the calc is. I think it's something like um you don't KO Lunala. Th- through shield with crunch anyways or something like that um so like at that point you might as well just run bite if you're not picking up the ko so you can at least get the flinch chance and then it's also useful against other things and that kind of scenario it's either at neutral or at minus one i forget which regardless if uh if uh, anyone has anything else about australia uh feel free to speak up now otherwise we're going to slowly transition to to the california regional Alrighty. So, um, this also happened over the weekend here. And we see a familiar name at the top. I don't think any surprise to anybody from this entire season or last season. But, uh, you know, one of the top players over the last two, roughly two years or so in, uh, Ashton Cox winning. So, um, with a team of Groudon, Xerneas, Mega Gengar, Landorus, Incineroar, and Amoongus. Now, um, I don't know uh, if the two of you were able to watch any of the stream over the weekend, uh, but what can you tell me about how this tournament went down, some of the other teams, and uh, what happened, with, or how Ashton ended up winning this thing? So there wasn't exactly a stream, but uh, a lot of players did do their best to record the local stream setup that they have, which I think is extra strange, but I don't exactly understand the tournament scenario, so I won't speak on that. But uh, they did have a screen airing the games to the players at the venue. And so a couple of players were able to set up streams using their phones via Periscope through Twitter. So not everything was captured, but uh, a lot of it was. And uh, shout outs to the people that were able to record that, such as uh, Regina and uh, I believe Ben Norton. Uh, if I'm, I hope those are the two that mainly did it. Um, anyway. And uh, uh, Kareem also did, I think, one of the top four sets. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so shout out to all those people for giving us this coverage on these uh, events because we might not have gotten it otherwise. I mean, um, yes, thank you to them for doing this, but honestly, can you blame me for making that assumption that we should have streams at regionals? Like, I know there's grassroots and everything, but um, that's just something in my time off that I figured we'd had patched that problem. Yeah, we should have. Oh, well, anyway, let's move on. So, we see a... Uh, pretty interesting team from Ashton. Uh, I think we saw a lot of teams similar to this in Berlin from players like Pokey Alex and Feiss, uh, as well as Till. Um, they were using this team with a Tapu Fini over the Amoongus. And, however, Ashton's team carries the Parish option. Uh, Parish Trap is a strategy that has been around for quite some time, but uh, in all kinds of different variations. But Mega Gengar, paired with Incineroar, has made it about its easiest as it's ever been, in that you can get Mega Gengar next to Incineroar and essentially create a Parish Trap scenario where Gengar uses Parish Song, Incineroar fakes out the threat, and from there you're able to take out two of their Pokemon, ideally with losing none of your own, by alternating Protects, keeping Gengar safe and healthy, uh, using U-Turn with your Incineroar to allow Gengar to switch out, have something else take the hit, and then bring it back in. And it turned out to be a very strong strategy. We saw Ashton able to pull this off uh, a couple of times on stream, but uh, it's never that simple, especially in a format with so many strong powerhouses and restricteds. Um, and so it has to be very well played, and props to Ashton for being able to take such a strategy to a win. I think a, a big part of why uh, like Paris is like really being explored in this format is that 
a lot of the supporting Pokemon just aren't doing enough to put pressure on something like Gengar, especially when you have that Incineroar, like you said. Um, and at first glance, it might be hard to realize that, you know, things aren't going to do enough damage to, you know, stop the Gengar from getting a Parish Song off and, uh, uh, and then just, like, you know, go down from a opposing Pokemon attack. So that was a lot of, like, how it was in 2016, but it seems here in, you know, 2019, you know, Gengar's able to get off Parasong, and then, uh, things are moving at just a slow enough pace so that, um, Gengar can, you know, get his partner in Sin and get Fake Out off, and they can get back out, and, uh, it wasn't something that I fully believed in until I, you know, saw it in action multiple times. I mean, I played against Paris in both Berlin and Hartford, so, uh, I've definitely seen its strength. It's very strong, and, uh, not, definitely not something I expected to see this season, but it, it's, it's legit. I think it's really good. Yeah, I think the key thing here comparing Parish to 2016 versus now is that uh, Incineroar has just brought so much to the table for Parish. It uh, provides a lot of teams with the fake-out Intimidate U-turn, but on Parish this is especially useful as you're not interested in doing any damage if you're going full Parish. And so Incineroar able to being able to reduce damage... Uh, allowing Gengar to switch out and then have that slow, slow U-turn to re-enable the lock uh, just makes the combination such a deadly uh, deadly duo. And then uh, we have a lot of Pokemon and Ashen teams that are very comfortable with switching in, whether it's Landorus setting up another Intimidate, Amoongus and Groudon and Xerneas with their incredible bulk and typings. So just a very uh, well-constructed team and... Uh, Another thing I think is worth mentioning is that uh, he was able to pull off the victory against a very strong opponent in Justin Burns, who we've seen a lot of success from this season. Uh, Justin was using a team of Crobat, Rayquaza, Kyogre, Bronzong, Incineroar, Serena, just kind of jumping around here. But uh, he had a lot of tools to make the matchup hard for Ashton in Skill Swap Bronzong, Taunt Crobat, U-Turn on both his Incineroar and Serena. And then that Rayquaza-Kyogre duo just usually being very scary for a Groudon-Xerneas team. And so Ashen did have to play the matchup very carefully to win it. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but Ultra has not been very kind to Serena. Um, I saw it was pretty popular back in Sun and Moon series, so what's happened to it? Uh, that's a good question. I, uh, Tapu Lele has seemed to be the premier priority blocking Pokemon. And, uh... I mean, I feel like the big obvious ones are probably, like, uh, Primal... Or, I'm sorry, not Primal. Mega Gengar, you know, being able to Mega Volnar and pop up. Uh, Mega Rayquaza joining the fray. Mega Salamence with, uh, its flying, uh, air late to change those moves to flying type. Um, probably things that are not being very kind to Serena. The... All the Mega Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think a big thing is that, uh... Kyogre doesn't have nearly as big of a stranglehold on the format as it did in um, both Sun and Moon series. Um, you know, big uses for Serena in those series were uh, having your Serena next to your Scarf Kyogre, and then you'd allow your Scarf Kyogre to uh, get out Water Spouts without having to take chip damage first. So that would be great. You'd have Faint and Helping Hand pressure so that you could do stuff with that. And then you could also, you know, use U-Turn on your Serena to, you know, win the Weather War. Uh, it's also the case for dealing with opposing Kyogre. There's, like, uh, not as much reason to need a super hard Kyogre resist when you can just run something like Groudon now. We can just turn off uh, the, you know, the Kyogre attacks. Can't attack in the Desolate Lands, so... Uh, yeah, it's just like there's less of a need for Serena's uh, typing and uh, move pool and stuff like that uh, as far as like being a necessity in an ultra. Like I think, like you said, a lot of the teams, if they want to block terrains, they'd rather have a Tapu Lele at this point, be, or block a priority. They'd much rather have a Tapu Lele just because of how it deals with um, you know other things like, there's a lot of dragons in this format right now, whether it be uh, Rayquaza, Ultra Necrozma, uh, uh, Salamence, like, there's a decent number of things that, uh, are much more threatening to teams, so if they're gonna, like, specifically want to block terrain, then Tapu Lele is usually a good, 
a good place to start or block party. <laughs> Usually a pretty good place to start. Yeah. It is it is crazy to say uh to hear you say just like dragons are popular in this format. Uh mainly because Xerneas has been such a common you know, withstood the test of time throughout all of this year, as well as uh back in twenty sixteen, you know, still as strong as ever. Um, just really strong in that one dimension, right? It's pretty one dimensional, but uh that's one strong dimension, the X dimension, if you will. Uh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just uh something I thought I'd never hear. Especially yeah, in a format I'm, with Xerneas. I'm turning off the podcast after Steven's joke. alright bye bye that's it guys looking at it I think Uh, something uh, really interesting from not only Santa Clara but also from Sydney this weekend was uh, two things one Lunala had a really really good weekend from both regionals Uh, I don't think we really talked about that when we were talking about Sydney but you know it had three out of eight cut slots in Sydney as well as three out of eight cut slots in Santa Clara as well so um Lunala is something that didn't see a lot of usage around the time of Berlin, uh, or even as far as Hartford goes. Uh, saw quite a bit of usage the last weekend on a variety of different teams being paired with uh, all of you know Gradon and uh, Xerneas, and I think there was one more. Yeah, there was one Zern right in, or sorry, uh, Lunala Rikwaza in Santa Clara. So uh, Lunala kind of like picking a little bit back up in usage. It definitely helps that. Uh, Evil Tall usage is a bit down. Um, ever since Rayquaza kind of came up and has been doing super well, uh, I don't think we've seen nearly as much Evil Tall because I think a lot of those teams uh, have trouble slowing down Rayquaza enough to consistently beat it. Um, the other main thing I wanted to point out was uh, something I was really surprised about was no Ultra Necrozma in either of these cuts, which was uh, very shocking to me based off of, uh, you know, it got... You know, first at Hartford, and then it also, uh, I think I got second at, there was a, I don't know if it was a regional or a special event in Europe, but uh, Yuri got second with it at whatever event that was, and uh, besides... There was also a second in uh, Malaysia or Hong Kong, one or the other two, but uh, it did go on to get two second place finishes the following weekend after your finish, Tommy, so you did, your team did have quite the impact, uh, and by that I mean exactly your team. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so... Like, even expanding out from there, um, it had, like, a really, really good Japan Cup usage as well. Uh, like, Lele and Nekorozma, like, dominated Japan Cup, and to see it, like, start to climb up and then rapidly kind of just disappear across two separate regionals on the same weekend, not two weeks after it was, like, somewhat surprising to me. But, you know, Xerneas did have a really, really strong showing uh, across both these regionals, so uh, I guess not that surprising. Alrighty, and uh, that about covers our coverage of the most recent tournaments we've had over these last few weeks here. Um, any closing thoughts on the metagame moving forward or any of the teams, players we've seen um, these past few weeks before we move on to our next topic? I think Madison's going to be really interesting. I think that the format's in a really wonky place. There's a lot of different teams that are doing well. Nothing really has a strong grip on the format. I think people will start to experiment more with you know Paris stuff because Ashton did manage to actually had a win with it. Um, but just like, just looking at stuff like Santa Clara and Sydney, uh, there's tons of different restricted pairs. Like, I think there was, counted up probably more than 10 different pairings across these two cuts, which is like pretty insane. Um, something close to that number, but yeah, it's, I think the format's in a really cool place right now where there's a lot of different teams that can do well. And I really want to see how people adjust to that when we get to Madison. I think that's awesome. The strong survive and the weak shall perish. Alex, uh, any last thoughts from you? Uh, I'm very nervous for Madison. Very Please nervous? Why do, you, why do you say that? I want to do good. And Tommy said that the format's very interesting and scary going into Madison. And we're going to Madison, Stephen. You should be worried, too. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens, right? Scary times. <laughs> Dude, I'll be there. I'm going. I enjoy the chaos. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, I love How the chaotic points of the be, format. I'm going to be bringing Tommy with me. Hell yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, yeah, Madison will be coming up shortly soon. 
Um, so we'll get to talk about that eventually. But in the meantime, let's, uh, move away from the, uh, 2019 metagame, uh, the current metagame rather, and we're gonna talk about something that we've kind of been teasing for the last few shows, and, uh, we just wanna figure, try and figure out, try and, uh, solve this mystery here, like, uh, Detective Pikachu solved his case, whatever it was in that movie. Um, but. Did you still not see it? No, I didn't see it yet. It's a good movie, dude. I liked it. Well, I never said anything I, about being a bad movie. I just haven't gone to see it yet. I told you, then you're just gonna have to mute your mic, and Tommy and I will talk about it. <laughs> you can you can talk about it after the show. We'll uh, we're we're not gonna do any Detective Pikachu spoilers for any of the listeners because that would not be cool or fair to them or me. But they've all seen it. You're the only one. To- <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Uh, probably. Anyway. Um. Anyway, the mystery we're trying to solve here is. It was listed on Pokemon.com's website for the Ultra Series that this is gonna be that Ultra Series runs until the World Championships in Washington D.C. this August. So the question is, what's gonna happen to VGC after Worlds happens? You know, what are we gonna be playing in the fall before Sword and Shield come out? Will we even have a VGC 2020 season? What do you think is gonna happen here? We're gonna have a 2020 season. Uh, VGC will continue. I think that. Uh, th- there is a very interesting question of what we're going to do format-wise as far as uh, what happens at the World Championships. Um, I know that there are some options that they have on the table just based off of um, stuff like uh, online tournaments that they've run, you know, kind of like the you know, the friendly competitions that they've run. Uh, I think a really big candidate would be the... Uh, no Mega Stone, no Z Move, uh, open decks format. So a lot like uh, VGC 15 and 18, but just without uh, having the Mega Stones and the Z Crystals is uh, a format that they ran uh, on, like one of the the online tournaments, and I think uh, was received very well. So I think both uh, just a carbon copy of VGC 18 as well as uh, you know a No Mega, no Z Move uh, format are. Definitely two really strong options if they want to get away from the legendaries. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. So, that sounds akin to like a 2009 or 12, 13 season. That sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Just bringing it back to just pure Pokemon. No uh, yeah, crazy we don't mechanics. Need, we don't need the- any of these. Yeah, any of those fancy fixtures or mechanics they've been adding in over the years. Um, some some ideas like I've thought of for post worlds uh, for that fall is like. We could have here. I mean, I have a few options here. One of mine is like we play uh, Sun, Moon, and Ultra Series again, right? You could play Sun in September, Moon in October, Ultra in November. <laughs> like I'm not even no, I'm not even kidding. Like they could do that again. Like don't put away any of your ideas from Sun and Moon series because there's still the potential they could come back. And then Sword and Shield, we switch over in December, or January, whenever that's going to happen. Um. I, I could also just see us them continuing play to play have us play Ultra Series until we switch over to the Sword and Shield format um, on the Switch there, and then uh, one of my other crazy ideas is uh kind of actually kind of similar to Tommy's there, but uh, instead of having the no Z move no uh, Mega Stone, it's just the Ultra Sun Ultra Moon Regional Pokedex. One of the reasons for this is because it's there's some slight differences from the Sun and Moon regional Pokedex, and um, I'm 100% confident we're going to get a regional Pokedex for uh, Galar once we get to Sword and Shield. So it'd be like, at least, wow, what at least a bold be consistent. call there, Steven. What? What a bold call. That I know. The first we know the pattern. In like, the new game. Yeah, it's not. Uh-huh, it's not. Uh-huh. It's not bold at all. Well, I mean, to be fair, you've got more calls than me because my call is avoiding the question, and I think that they will announce the format at Worlds. <laughs> that's actually that's, that's all I've got. I mean, like they uh, they've kind of set an expectation now, like for at least uh, this coming year, because last yes. year we were we were still playing on the same games, right? Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. They didn't have to wait for um that new game back then so they knew they could announce the format for what we were doing this year and like this upcoming summer um we know in the fall we're going to be still on ultra sun and ultra moon presumably um yeah until Mm -hmm. sword and shield comes out because uh from the direct we know the information is for a late 2019 release but we don't know whether that means like uh fall release holiday release and then when the format's going to switch after the games come out so 
I don't know. Uh, I think to back up your point, Stephen, about uh, you know regional decks, it's you know widely assumed that when we get to Galar, when we get to Sword and Shield, that the first format, as it usually is, is going to be regional decks. Um, so I wouldn't like put it past them to say that they're going to do the Ultra Sun, Ultra Moon regional decks just to fit with the theme of keeping a regional decks format for 2020, and then just switching over to the new decks when we get the new games. Um, I, I don't think that's actually that outlandish to think about. So what I think is worth noting here is bringing back to what we experienced over this past year in 2019 and how that affects things going forward. Because once December comes around or whatnot, and by the end of the year, we should have those games. We should be playing competitively on those games. Uh, and like Tommy said, we we'll probably will be playing a regional decks format for Sword and Shield. It's going to be like that for, I imagine, until Worlds, and then that'll also be the Worlds format at the very least. And it's just interesting kind of going back to that system. These are all, you know, hypotheticals, but going back to that system after we get to experience the change of formats three times over the season. Yeah, and I think it was a a good test run. I think that, uh, you know, having the the split-up series was super interesting, and... You know, there was a lot of criticism for, you know, certain series. I think Moon got a lot of hate, but at the end of the day, it ended up being uh, not as bad as everybody chalked it up to be at first. And mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of people really enjoyed both Sun and Moon um, and the differing formats throughout the year. But, uh, yeah, I I think it would be really interesting to see whether or not they uh, continue doing it with uh, each new Pokedex, or each new uh, format that comes out. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's the first time they've ever done this, so we have no real way of knowing uh, what their plans are as far as uh, splitting up formats again. Honestly, uh, looking forward into the future, I don't think uh, splitting the format is something they're gonna, they were going to be looking to do for the 2020 season. Uh, especially on Sword and Shield, is mainly because we're going to be getting some kind of, probably some kind of new mechanic in those games, um, which they're going to want to focus on. We don't even know, Megastones will probably be in that game. We don't even know if uh, Z-Crystals are going to return. Um, if all those things return, Megastones, Z-Crystals, the new mechanic, um, that's going to be a bit crazy in 2020, which will probably only involve the new mechanic they have for that game. And uh, potentially for 2021, this is looking way ahead. Um, they could have something similar to the 2019, these Sun Moon Ultra series, where you split up introductions of different, um, of those different, different, uh, mechanics, right? Those different items or whatever. Um, it was really effective this season because you can include, um, the restricted Pokemon's orbs, the red orb, blue orb, those special signature moves like Dragon Ascent, um, as well as that, uh, the Z move for Necrozma. So, or the Z Crystal rather. So, um, it was, Something they were able to do this season, I thought it was, I thought it was creative. Um, I like that move a lot, but, uh, I don't really see that happening next season or really any time in the future. Speaking on new mechanics, we're getting really close to the point where we can just run a team that has no moves, no items that you can knock off. Like, just add a, just add a few more in and we're almost there. <laughs> Aren't we already there? Uh, we're really close in, in Ultra. I mean, like... No, I mean, Ultra's already there if you run, like, a t- two Primals, a Z-Move, and a Mega. Yeah, yeah like, within the battle, yeah. <laughs> Poor knockoff, the, the rise and fall. Mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah. that's true. The, uh, that was that the big question of, uh, what Dark Move do you run on Incineroar, right? Uh, we'll talk about Incineroar in depth at some point a little bit more, um, in the future, but, uh... Again, Incineroar is a Pokemon with its release and just its effectiveness over the year. We could talk about it for it's an, it could have its own entire episode. So yes. Um. Anyway, you know these are where some of our thoughts for uh for what happens to the video game championships heading into the future uh, after Worlds. We'll see what happens. Maybe uh maybe we were right. We were right right here in May 2019. Calling it right now. Maybe we had we uh, predicted something. We threw a lot of darts. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, lastly, we have one final question here. So we've created a, uh, I guess, a thread on Reddit, just, uh, you know, advertising the show there. But uh, we did get a question from a user there, uh, YSRXX. And uh, really the question boils down to um, what has changed in the Pokemon games and is uh, keeping the games fresh, right? So... Um, 
this user mentions that they've been away from competitive battling since uh, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, and taking a glimpse at the new metagame being the new Tapu Pokemon didn't make this person want to get uh, started up again. And about 10 to 20 hours into the Sun game, they're still holding uh, their hand and keeping them on the rails uh, made this person lose interest in completing the game. So I'm not sure if this question was related to uh, just general Pokemon gameplay or competitive, but um, I guess we can all answer from both perspectives, maybe. Maybe uh, whatever you want to do here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think I just have to take this moment to flex a little <laughs> bit. Um, and okay. talk about my <laughs> Fort Wayne regional win in the 2017 season. Ah, uh, yes. Well... So in that format, uh, this was the first format that we got introduced to the Tapu Pokemon, as well as the Ultra Beasts, who ended up being very common on teams, uh, but mostly focusing on the Tapus, especially since that's what the question asker has brought up. The Tapu Pokemon were basically on every team, and you had either one or two, um, but I was able to win Fort Wayne with a team that had no Tapus and no Ultra Beasts, so that's my answer. <laughs> as far as like what uh, yeah like what's keeping stuff fresh though i, I think the 2019 is a really good look at that like the 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 shifting formats is something that throughout the year kept the game super duper fresh like we didn't i didn't uh i don't know about you guys but i don't have this like uh this format fatigue that i usually do at the you know this point in the year uh when we get to like may and june where uh, I've started to play out the format a lot, and I'm starting to get, you know, worn down a little bit by it, but no, I'm, it's it's ultra. Everything's, like, still super new and fresh, and uh, I think that the changing formats definitely, you know, helps out a ton, uh, and as we mentioned before, there's so many different teams that are doing well right now, so many different restricted pairings, um... I think there's not even, like, really Pokemon that, like, need to be on every team. Like, I know Incineroar and Tapu Fini are probably, like, the, the two most used support Pokemon, but the, they're, they're that exactly. They're, they're support Pokemon are not, like, the, the team's powerhouses. They're really important for the driving the success of the teams, but um, as far as, like, uh, these big offensive slugging powerhouses, no, they're not really that. And uh, like you said, you don't even need stuff like, you know, Fini and Incineroar to win games. Like, you can... Uh, run teams without uh, either of the two and you know still find success very reasonably and i i think that you know formats like this formats where there's a lot of um, different things doing well but also feels like you can um, cover enough options with your teams or the format that uh, i think are the coolest and definitely help keep things fresh over the year both the uh, finalists in the santa clara regional did not have uh, a Tapu on their team, neither Ashton or Justin Burns. So, um, not to focus too much on, in on whether a team has a Tapu or not, but uh, I think that what Tommy had mentioned is the biggest point here, and that the what they tried out this last season really did keep the game fresh, and that late season burnout is just almost non-existent because this is like almost not late season. It's a new series, it's a new format, and while it is still the same season. Uh, with these changing rule sets, it constantly feels like you're playing a new game. And that's one of my favorite things just about Pokemon. Uh, and uh, Honestly, year by year was maybe just a little bit too slow. Uh, it was really uh, That was one of my favorite things about playing Pokemon competitively is uh, when you look at a game like, I don't know, just Super Smash Bros., they are mostly playing the same game year by year. They get patches here and there. But uh, the base game is the same, whereas every year we get new rules. And I think that is something that's really just different, very different. Uh, the TCG experiences this with their cycling in and out uh, cards. But that's something that I really like about Pokemon is that uh, every year we try something new. You figure out different ways to do it. As the meta develops, we see different things take on, uh, like come on, fall off, and... Uh, by the end, you really get to just, like, fine-tune your craft. So, uh, I think this uh, cycling format thing is really the main thing that's keeping Pokemon fresh. And going forward, uh, we're going to have the new games, uh, and that'll probably stick to just one format. But I think that what we experienced in this last season is a positive change, and I hope that they realize that going forward. Yeah, I mean, like, 
in the future for Sword and Shield, you just never know. But uh, I guess to answer this question myself here, um, generally speaking, like, um, I'm going to go quick about this, but uh, honestly, like, probably not much has changed uh, in terms of just general gameplay. Like, um, they've the games have continually just been iterating on themselves over and over these past few generations, so not much has changed in that regard. Uh, competitively, you know, they've been... There were diff we've had different mechanics over the years for uh, VGC, right? We've had gems in Gen 5, we got Megastones in Gen 6, we got the Z-Crystals in Gen 7. So those are like the kind of big highlights you can focus on. But you look at changes from generation to generation, you see a lot of mechanics changes. You see uh, the power of moves change as well. So uh, as well as accuracies, their strengths. Remember when, um, what is it, Leech Life and something else was super, super weak. That got a big buff in Gen 7. So, um, you know, they noticed these things like uh, grass types used to be uh, used to be able to be hit by all those powder moves, right? They changed that. Same with electric types. They used to be able to be paralyzed, uh, probably most notably by uh, Thunderous, right? You could paralyze any other Pokemon out there um, with that Prankster Thunder Wave. So, um, competitively, we've, you know, they've been making changes here and there to try and keep the game fresh, um, from the, uh, mechanic standpoint, from the things within the game, right? Um, so just, uh, you know, and then this year really highlights with the different series, uh, changing in. So, um, there are a variety of different, uh, approaches and perspectives you can take on how the, uh, competitive realm is changing over time. And then, um, yeah, so you just uh, got to take a different look at it. So, what do you folks think? Have we uh, covered this question here and we can uh, wrap up? Yeah, I think so, if we're the uh, folks you're talking to. Yeah, that's right, everybody. It's time mm -hmm. to hit the dusty old trail. But uh, I guess one last thing before we sign out is uh, one final congratulations to Tommy for winning your first regional championship there. Um, I guess a long time coming, you know, you're in this one, right? Yeah, I felt it. It was, feels good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Super happy for you, Tommy. Yeah, same. Uh, anyway, so that's our show. Thank you so much to Tommy Colleen for being on. We really appreciate the, uh, help on the show here. Um, yeah, we just really appreciate having uh, another voice on the Hyper Voice. So, it was super cool to have you on here. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. It's an absolute pleasure. Love being on here. All right, folks. So, we're just going to do our typical things where you can find us here. Remember, you can send feedback, uh, more anonymous feedback, to our email address, vgchypervoice at gmail.com. Send us feedback. Send us questions. Uh, we'll answer them on the show here. We'll talk about some of your feedback as well. Now, uh, you can also find us on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. You can find us on Podbean. You can download the show from there, as well as iTunes, where you can leave us a review, subscribe to all those different places. Um, it helps others to discover the show. And if you have friends who you think may like this show, please tell them about us so that they can give us a listen. You can also find us on our face on Facebook, uh, at our Facebook group. That is The Hypervoice. And then on Twitter, you can follow the show at The Hypervoice. Lastly, you can find all of us as well on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at Super Morioka. And uh, Alex, where can we follow you? I'm at LexiconVGC. And Tommy, where can people follow you? I am at TeamNVGC. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. That is our show. We hope you've enjoyed it. And we hope you stay tuned for more of the Hyper Voice. Alola. <laughs>